it's been good for me to think about hope in this past week and think about what it means. And there's all kinds of different definitions of hope. You know, I, I first thought about, you know, that little eight-year-old boy with spindly arms, with, with maybe 2% body fat. He gets out of the shower and he stands up in front of the mirror. He throws up in his, uh, his arms. He looks in the mirror. He says, I'm getting muscles. <laughs> Is that hope? How about the middle-aged man? And he, he, he looks in the mirror. Maybe if I do sit-ups after Christmas, that'll help. <laughs> Is that hope? Maybe, maybe hope looks more like the Christmas story. Do you remember that movie? Back in 1983, it came out in the theaters. Um, no, it wasn't streaming at that time. But it came out in the theaters, and little Ralphie, you know, the one with the glasses, the narrator described his life and the events that were happening that led up to Christmas. Now, Ralphie had to engage relationships at school. He was worried about his grades, and he brought gifts to his, te to his teacher, thinking that somehow it would help him get on that nice list. He had to deal with his younger brother. He had to deal with a bully that, you know, would sometimes interrupt their path to and from home. But steadily, throughout the entire movie, one thing was on Ralphie's mind. Do you remember what that was? Oh my gosh, you guys got it. Yeah, the Red Ryder BB gun. Now he had an actual line and I didn't memorize it, but he called it the official. <laughs> the official Red Ryder carbon action 200 shot range air rifle. And I looked it up, he said it 30 times in that film. And each time he said it, it was like this fast, like really fast. But everybody knew it was the Red Ryder BB gun. And what was the response that the adults would say? No, it'll shoot your eye out, yes. But hope for little Ralph moved him beyond what the doubters would say, and he still clung to something that he desired. Well, I think that helps us to really think more about this passage. Because sometimes there's outside forces that say, you know, hope, <laughs> no, don't worry about it. But let's look at this passage. It's a very familiar passage in Matthew chapter 2 beginning with verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with his mother, with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray. Father God, we do pray that you would enlighten your word for us. Renew in us this message that we hear so frequently at Christmas. Renew it in our spirits and in our hearts that we may live as your people, marked with hope, not only for today, but for all eternity. For indeed, your hope is eternal and secure. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. My wife and I appreciate Christmas with the colors, with the splendors, and there's many things that we think about when we think about Christmas. And one of those things is a nativity scene. We love those nativity scenes. At one time, I, I traveled to Africa, and I got to see my brother in Africa, and I brought home with me a very small nativity scene that I picked up sometime in May or June, whenever it was, that just, it stayed with us. And we have a small collection of other nativity scenes. They're great, you know, Mary, Joseph, the baby Jesus. Sometimes a nativity scene will even have a little lamb that's right there too. You'll even see it in the yards around town. Um, they also usually show three wise men that are there at the nativity scene. Trouble is though that there really is no telling how many wise men there were. Well, we just read the text together and it made no mention of three wise men. It only made mention of three very special and valuable gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It could be that maybe two wise men brought gifts of gold. Maybe a third brought frankincense. And then maybe five or six brought additional gifts. But we're told of these three gifts, and they have very important value. Now, a lot has been said in the commentaries about these three gifts, but I'm mentioning that what is really of great importance to our text is that Matthew shows us that these wise men were something unusual. We would expect the newborn king to be heralded from the people of Jerusalem. We would expect there to be a sense of song and praise coming from the people. But instead, Matthew, and he's the only one who records this, tells us that magi from the east have come. 
Now, this word that we use for wise men is very similar to the one used to describe Daniel in the Old Testament. Kind of neat. Do you remember that story of Daniel? Daniel was selected because he was above others in terms of intellect, his ability to reason, his ability to function. And the people of Babylon wanted Daniel to conform to their ways. But he was given an opportunity to choose God's plan and path. And he chose wisely. Daniel is one of the greatest people in our Old Testament text. And, well, I guess I'm kind of excited because my, my son-in-law is named Daniel. So, and he's here. So, yeah, I veered from my notes just talking about Daniel. <laughs> but this Daniel in the Old Testament, he, was, he had access to the kings. He was a man of great intellect and study, probably very wealthy. And these magi, no matter how many there were, they too were people of great importance. And if they had traveled a great distance, you can bet it wasn't just three. They would have brought in a very large entourage, people capable of caring for the livestock that moved with them, the, the camels, and people capable of helping to erect tents for their journey, people capable of even protecting them with swords at their sides. These wise men had the means necessary to travel a great distance to see the newborn king. One commentary believes, and I tend to agree, that they traveled a distance of nearly 800 miles. Quite impressive for back in that day. And even if the wise men were able to travel 20 miles through largely arid land a day, that would have taken them 40 days. That's not possible. So they're saying at the very minimum, it would have been probably 50 or 60 days or even three and four months. So the time it took them just to get the caravan together and to travel all the way to Jerusalem would have been a great length of time. So I guess this kind of says that we're debunking something from the nativity scene. If we're to say that the wise men were there, well, maybe they weren't kneeling at the time of Jesus' birth. Maybe we should put them uh, a yard away from that scene at the manger because they were probably, at the time of Jesus' birth, looking to the stars. They were committed to studying the stars, seeking out information and knowledge. Well, even though they were not present at Jesus' birth, and even though there were not three, it does, certainly does not mean that we would throw out our nativity scenes because it tells us a story of God's faithfulness and love. It tells us a story of God's hope for his people, but also for the nations. If I can bring up... Um, uh, if I can bring up verse 1 again. This underscores 
the reason, part of the reason why I say that the Magi or the wise men were not there. It, this story occurs after Jesus was born in that little town of Bethlehem. And for those of you who are interested, this was about six miles away from King Herod. It would have been easy enough for Herod to go down to Bethlehem and to see this site. But I believe God had other plans. This whole story, this whole nativity scene is a part of the story of how God chose to redeem his people and offer them a sense of hope. Thank you so much, Craig. I, I don't have it for you, but later in verse 16, this also points out, and you can read this at home if you're taking notes, chapter 2, verse 16. Later on, we read that Herod himself put to his mind to kill all boys age two and younger. What is this? Yeah, for some of you, this might be shocking. So Jesus himself would have been born, and by the time the, the, the Magi or the wise men showed up, Jesus might have been close to a year old. Maybe, we don't know for sure. And when Herod found out, he was gripped with a type of disease, and he was a man who was prone to killing others. He killed his, his spouse, he killed some children, some of his own children, and then when the rumors were that Jesus was coming to be the new ruler for Israel, for Judah, well, I'll show them, said Herod. I'm going to kill every, every newborn babe all the way up to two years, the boys exclusively. So Horde, or Herod was definitely a man not to be messed with. So this small band of wise men with their entourage traveling to find something that lay under a star. And I've come to believe that this star was not a normal event, but I did struggle with the process because some scholars say that it could have been a supernova. Some scholars, one in fact, said that in AD 7, so pretty close to the time of Jesus, Jupiter and Saturn came into alignment, specific alignment, three times near the nation of, I mean, overhead for Israel. So it's quite possible that in AD 7, these wise men saw something in the heavens that was natural. I tend to believe, and you can disagree with me, that it was more in line of something that was supernatural because as we look at verse 9, thanks, Craig. As we look at verse 9, after listening to the king, the wise men, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. So I, I take this to be pretty literal that actually what they saw was a type of special revelation for these wise men as they moved along to go to the place where God would direct them. Hope is something like that. Hope gives us a sense of purpose and a calling. Hope allows us to look to something and to press forward in, in spite of 
the present day circumstances. For the wise men, they had to endure many months of travel over difficult terrain. They had to be separated from their families and from their regular routine. They gave up something of great consequence in terms of monetary um, supply. And to do what? To worship. To worship a king. They were responding to a call that was before them in the heavens. And this offered them hope. But it gives us hope too. An ability to continue on in the journey that God has called us to. When life presses in, or when stress becomes too much, hope is what carries us to take yet another step forward. Hope is different than faith. To be clear, I believe that faith and hope are gifts from God. In fact, 1 Corinthians 13, you know this verse, verse 13, and now abide these, faith, hope, and love. If you were married recently, you might have heard that at your wedding. Faith, hope, and love. These are gifts that God gives to, not just exclusively to his children in Israel, but to even those that are beyond the borders. Hope and faith are connected, but they are Still, mutually exclusive. And I'll, I'll point to it this way by talking about prayer. We, when we think about prayer, it brings into view this relationship of faith and hope. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about the simple prayer before a meal. You know, God bless this food. Thank you. You know, let it nourish your bodies. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that first time prayer. Do you remember it? The first time you prayed. Think back to it. Some of you, maybe it wasn't that long ago. Some of you, maybe it was a long time ago. But that first time, you believed that God was real. You believed that he sent his only son to die on the cross for your sins. And through faith, you took that first step across an imaginary line and you said I'm going to pray to God that I believe in but I can't see that is an act of faith I believe though I don't know everything I believe that Jesus died for me and that first prayer is an act of faith but hope hope is something that allows us to continue to pray when it feels like everything is against us. When it feels like we're laying in bed at night and the prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling and going nowhere. It takes faith. It takes hope. Hope to sustain us through those difficult times. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a place where you're praying and you're wondering, where are my prayers going? Why do I continue to have this faith? What will keep me going? And the answer is hope. 
Hope is there to keep us looking forward and moving forward when it feels like all of our prayers are landing nowhere. And I'd like to ask you, in a way that's reminiscent of the wise men, where are you on your journey? What life events are you facing? Do you have dreams that have been shattered? What happens when a spouse is diagnosed with cancer? Do you lose hope? When a job does not turn out as promised, do you endure? Do you continue to press on, giving it 100%? What do you do when your children choose another path, maybe a different faith from your own? Or what do you do if your children stop returning your phone calls? Unfortunately, these things are too common in this lifetime. They do abound. I have a dear co-worker. She's um, maybe about five or six years older than me. Though she looks younger. If she's listening, she looks younger. My dear friend Janet, she was recently promoted, and this promotion came with a lot of stress and with a lot of long days, many hours in the week. And one morning at work, I was visiting with Janet, and I had the opportunity to affirm her in her new job. She indeed is a hard worker, and I really appreciate my friend Janet. Janet, you're doing a good job, I said. And she told me that this is not what she wanted. Like, what? You worked really hard for this job. Like, I saw her working hard to get this job. She told me that with the birth of her first grandchild, she wanted to retire. <laughs> wow. And the job is anything but free for her. She pictured being there to help her daughter and the new baby. But instead of retiring, her, hu her husband suffered a back injury and was unable to work. He has some days, even to this day, that he cannot stand or even sit down due to pain. Where's hope for my friend Janet? How does it work out this way? The visions and dreams that we have do not materialize. Does that mean that God has abandoned us or forsaken us? According to this text, hope is always present. It does not come, hope does not come with a promise that things will be different for you today. Instead, hope has been given as a promise through the ages that things will not always be like this. Mark in Romans 8, all things work together for good. I'd like to bring up again verse 6, if we could. And I think this is important. Matthew brings out verse 6 and says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. 
for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Why do I highlight it? Because if you go back and look at Matthew 5, and again, if you're taking notes and you want something to do later on today, I'm sorry, Micah 5, I'll get it out, Micah 5, you'll read in that context that Micah is talking about Bethlehem being small and in a situation where they will be under the indictment of Assyria as the Assyrian troops come in and basically storm the gates. What is, what is Bethlehem to do? They're small. The situation is dire for the people throughout all of Judea and certainly to Bethlehem. But God says about 730 years before the birth of Jesus that there is hope. <laughs> hope for ages past. Times will be tough, says Micah, as Assyria comes. But there will be a day when in even the smallest land of Judah, there will be a Messiah, a ruler who will be a shepherd for my people, but not only for my people, for all the nations. I'm getting ahead of myself. Bethlehem is certainly too small to be able to stand against the forces of Assyria. But God will have his day. He will reserve a remnant and someday raise up a Messiah. So hope is indeed eternal from ages past to our present and even to the future. I got to tell you that the Magi did not come to Bethlehem to worship a king with power. They came knowing that someday this baby would be great. So the past, the present, the future, hope remains eternal. Remember, faith, hope, and love. But indeed, it's offered not just for the people of Israel, but also for the nations. And I'll bring up again verse 1 and verse 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the days of Herod, wise men came from the east. Guys, the wise men were outsiders. I wonder what Matthew was thinking under the compulsion and inspiration of the Holy Spirit to be writing these words when he says, wise men. Now, they come to visit kings. And they're not as interested in being with Herod the king, but instead are asking about a newborn king who has not even been crowned yet, right? What was Matthew thinking? The king of the Jews. These wise men were not of Jewish descent. They were outsiders, and yet God delighted to speak and to communicate his his message of hope for all the nations. And he did it in a way that the Magi would listen. Right? Through stars. Verse 2. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. These Magi were looking at stars. Now, 
Matthew knows, the writer of this gospel, he knows that this is not a popular thing to do in Jerusalem or Bethlehem or in, the, or in Judea. It is not popular to be looking to the stars for answers. In fact, in the Old Testament, the Bible forbids astrology in Jeremiah 10. And it says, Jeremiah says, do not be terrified by signs in the sky. Isaiah 47 also speaks against stargazers who make predictions month by month. This was not a common thing for the people of Israel to hold on to. They had the Torah, they had the law, they had the Old Testament scriptures, and that was the revelation. And yet, God chose to meet the Magi exactly where they were at. God did not demand that they be perfect or they conform to some standard that they did not even know of. God did not say to the Magi, to the wise men, you must get it right before I start communicating to you. God willingly humbled himself and communicated to those who were diligently looking for answers. Today, there are reports of people who are coming to faith in Jesus Christ through dreams. Like what? Really? In Iran, other oppressed nations, even in China, it seems that sometimes government and culture would suppress any revelation of Christ at all, where some people are bound by family tradition and even by the point of the sword, let's just call it, that they would not come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And yet, it's happening. People are coming to faith and God uses any means necessary to execute his good and perfect and holy will. And that is to draw his children to a saving knowledge of himself so that they one day would repent and take that first step in prayer, that first step of faith and say, God, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for me, that my sins would be separated as far as the east is from the west. My brothers and sisters, I would, I would caution you to be careful. Careful not to be a judge when you come across someone who has tattoos all up their arms. Be careful not to judge them. Be careful not to judge someone who is different than, than yourself or from anybody in here because we do not know what God is putting on their heart. We do not know what God is doing in their life to communicate to them right now. God will use any means necessary to draw his children to himself. And I'd like you to contrast something really quick. Contrast the response of the wise men to the people of Jerusalem. The wise men were willing to travel a great distance and they sacrificed much to worship a newborn king. And the people of Jerusalem, they did nothing. Oh, that's an indictment. Verses three through five, let's put it up again. 
verses 3 through 5. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. That's all we hear about the people of Jerusalem. Bethlehem, as I told you, was about six miles away. There is no record here that they went down to go see this newborn king. There's no record that they did anything other than feeling a sense of trouble. I kind of wonder. I kind of wonder what was going on. Do they feel this trouble and anguish because of years of oppression? Do they feel this way because they had lost all hope? The people of God knew their scriptures. They were able to tell you that Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem. But it did not lead their heart to a place of action. I do wonder, what is it like to live in a land where you don't have control about what is going to happen next? Do you lose hope? Where are you today? Have you Hold on to hope for what? Quiet prayers at night? Hope for action even at work? Are you able to hold on to hope as you pray for maybe a relative who does not yet know Jesus? One of my favorite um, pastors and professors at Covenant, he was leading a class on evangelism. And he said that he was committed to every day pray for this one person in his family. Year after year of praying. And then, and I don't know when he stopped, but he told our class that I pray every day for my list of people that I want to see come to Christ. Well, everybody on my list except for one. I, I stopped praying for this one crushed my spirit crushed my spirit this incredible man of God is teaching and leading the next generation of pastors and leaders of the church and he said well uh, I don't have hope anymore for him I don't know that little that person's name but I pray for him <laughs> Hope calls us to be sharing our faith with others, not knowing what the outcome will be today, but trusting God for the future. That's why we move on. That's why it's one step at a time. It's why we pray for the people in our family. That's why we go to a grocery store and we hand them a card and say there is good news in Jesus Christ. No, don't think I'm too weird or anything. It's hope. Well, I've started to come, or started to go a little too long in my sermon. I apologize for that. But I want you to know that there is a light that is with you, 
a light that will guide you. And when things seem dark, and after many years of ministry, the darkness is always there. But so is that light. Hold on to hope as you look at the light. And even when it feels like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, close your eyes and just whisper, come, Lord Jesus, come. When it feels like, well, I don't need to go to church anymore, just take another step. And when you're at church, say these words again. Come, Lord Jesus, come. That is part of the message of Christmas. It is hope eternal. Let's pray. Indeed, Lord, we do pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. We need you with every waking breath. We need you when times are good, but also when we need hope, something that empowers us to take yet another step. So when we do pray to the God who gives hope, to the God of hope, we thank you. And we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.